Welcome back to another Agape at Home for All Saints Church. Tonight, Father Glenn is teaching more on John chapter 17 and about the resurrection, specifically about Jesus's high priestly prayer. We lost a little bit of the beginning of the audio, so I'm going to start by reading the passage and then I'll hand it over to Father Glenn when he starts explaining John chapter 17. We're going to begin at verse 9. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they may might have joy, my joy, fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. For they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through truth. That was John chapter 17, 9 through 19. And the next verses, chapter, uh, verse 20 and onward, will be picked up next week. And now hand it over to Father Glenn, who will pick up, uh, beginning to explain these verses and when they were spoken. What I want to do is to keep in mind also what's going on, what went on before this prayer, what surrounds it, uh, what came before, and then what comes after. Jesus and his disciples would leave pretty soon the upper room where he had instituted the Blessed Sacrament, enter into the dark streets of Jerusalem, and make their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Somewhere in between the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane, he stops, and then this is when he prays this prayer. It's not in the upper room, and it's not in the garden where he's arrested. He will be arrested. He will be bound by the high priest uh, and, and brought to them. They're waiting already in their palace, uh, along with scribes and elders and, and others, for a trial. In Jerusalem, the families of Jerusalem are concluding Passover. And during that, during the same time, it, the, the rulers of Israel put into motion this last piece of conspiracy to finally arrest Jesus. They have both temple guards and Roman soldiers uh, who will finally uh, arrest him. They have false witnesses lined up. Uh, they have charges to bring. They have a well thought through legal process uh, that's going to fall, that's going to fall in, in place to, to put an end uh, to, to Jesus. And, and finally, when, when they're prepared to do that, Pilate will offer Jesus up to the people, and they're going to say, 
uh, give us Barabbas. Uh, Barabbas, by the way, means son of the father, uh, which is, is a little bit, a little bit ironic. Um, but before Gethsemane, uh, this is where we are. We're in between the upper room and, and Gethsemane itself. Uh, and before Gethsemane, this is where, as I said last week, Jesus lifts up his eyes heavenward and he prays out loud. He prays out loud uh, to his father within the hearing uh, of his disciples. Like I said last week, I want to look at, just say a word about the posture again uh, and the fact that he, he looks up. He lifts his eyes up to, literally he lifts his eyes up to heaven uh, and, and is it is it worth to look beyond uh, all earthly things to to the heavenly? He it, he lifts his eyes up, as it were, to lift his eyes up to the abode of the Father, uh, which abode hovers over all terrestrial horizons. Uh, and 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 I, I think it's important. I mean, this the, I think the posture and and particularly the turning of his gaze from the horizontal to the vertical, uh, from his disciples. He turns his gaze from his disciples uh, to petition uh, the Father for their protection in the world, for their joy, uh, for their happiness, and for their holiness, and for their consecration to God's service and worship. Uh, Jesus is about to leave the world, and, and he's saying this, and they're not obviously catching on to every single thing uh, that he's saying, and so now with this prayer, he's going to make provisions for them uh, as, as he leaves, but, uh, and he places him into the hands of his father, but uh, the, the thing that I want you to see first is, is uh, he, he is he's emphatic in this prayer uh, that he's not lost one of his sheep uh, that the father has given him. Uh, and, and so he prays, <clears throat> this is in verse, uh, uh, well, just, just part of verse 11, Holy Father, keep them through thine own name, uh, those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Uh, those that thou gavest me, I have kept second time. And none of them is lost third time, but the son of perdition that scripture uh, might be fulfilled. And now uh, come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy and be fulfilled in themselves. And so he's emphatic uh, concerning his, that he has, protected his uh, his uh, disciples. So the Father has given uh, to those who, be, the Father has given those who believe in Jesus to the Son, and the Son has kept them safe throughout his earthly ministry. Think about this. I mean, you know this. You know this from the, from the narrative of, of all of the Gospels. You've heard your whole life, that as long as Jesus was with his disciples bodily, uh, uh, he didn't lose any of them. Furthermore, listen to this, he didn't reveal to them not uh, 
not, not as, as, as clearly as later, he didn't reveal to them the mutual suffering that they would share with him and his suffering as part of their mission, part of their calling. Mutual suffering is part of what it means to be, uh, to belong to Jesus, uh, is part of our common life in Christ. It's part of our common life in Christ, we kind of like to hear about, but not experience. Uh, we don't really, we don't, I mean, we, we give lip service to it all the time, but now we're in an existential moment. Every single one of us here at this moment, at this time, when what we want is a good, wonderful, holy thing, and yet we've had to suffer uh, its deprivation, namely the Blessed Sacrament, uh, which is the very center uh, the very center of our life. And that's part of our suffering now, suffering in, in many, many other ways too, though. But so Jesus hasn't revealed that to, the, to them, but what he's saying within their hearing and what he's, what he's saying to the Father is that as long as he was with them bodily, uh, he permitted no harm to come to them. Uh, and, and that was exactly the case. I mean, can you think of any situation in the New Testament? Some of y'all are smiling. Is there at me? <laughs> That's, I'm sorry. Can you think of any situation in the New Testament where, uh, uh, where, where uh, harm came to Jesus' disciples? when he was with them bodily. I can't. The son of perdition was lost. But in, in all of the, I mean, there are situations where people were being, were, were, uh, uh, were, were, uh, were being harmed by others uh, that he rescued, but, but, in his own in his own flock that was following him, it's very it's important to Jesus uh, to declare to them and to his father that no one had had been lost. None of them were harmed uh, uh, at all. Now, what this means for the church uh, is is just that is that as long as he was with them bodily, he protected them. This is reality uh, that, that we, we haven't explored very much, except remember the sermon last week was sermon on the good shepherd. And, and this is exactly the point that he's making in the good, in fact, some of this very same language, you know, uh, that uh, it, the, 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 uh, the importance of knowing the father and knowing, uh, our Lord, uh, is loving our Lord. And that's exactly what the, the, the sheep did. The sheep are said to be those who know Jesus, know his voice. They know him and he knows them. Uh, and furthermore, it was a very uh, sort of a definition uh, of the good shepherd. So as long as Jesus was with his flock, no harm came to them. Uh, the good shepherd protected his sheep. Uh, he doesn't run from uh, the wolf or the lion. Uh, he stands between his sheep and anyone that will hurt him. Uh, now, that's a historic reality. Uh, and, uh, and, and that historic reality, I submit to you, has mystical meaning for us. The historic reality is truth. 
there's a there's a wider but the reality of that truth is wider than that than the historic event itself uh which is this is that jesus jesus christ is fierce he's potent he's omnipotent when it comes to protecting holy mother church and her children he will do that there's no force in life or death angels prince uh, things to come as saint paul said or present uh, that can disenfranchise you personally and the church as a whole as a body uh, from your destiny in Jesus Christ. That's the first point I want to make. And that's, what's, that's what he's summing up there. That's what he's saying when he says, of all of those you've given me, I've lost none. Uh, I've protected them uh, the whole time that you have uh, the whole time that I've been with him. This has been about a three-year ministry uh, that we're talking about, too. Any comment? Any comments? Any questions? I have about five minutes left. No, so the, the first thing I think of is his presence with us in the communion. Correct. Mm -hmm. So his presence continues. Uh, let me let me go on to now the second point. So he establishes, you're right about that, Earl. He establishes, because this this feeds into that. He establishes the fact that he has been the good shepherd, he has protected the shepherd. And then he and then he he says he turns them over to his father in a manner of speaking. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me that they may be one as we are one. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, means to protect them, not just from harm, but from contamination in the world, from evil, from, from evil that would come upon us and from evil that might uh, grow, grow within or amongst us. There's a duality that's awfully hard to get away from, well, you can't get away from it. The duality between the church and the world, as embarrassing as it may be uh, to us today, it's just there. Jesus says uh, explicitly, uh, I pray for them, I pray not for the world, I pray for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. So he establishes that he is, he is giving them to the Father, Actually, what he's establishing is that they belong to the Father and they belong to him uh, as well. There's something I wanted to read. This is uh, one of my favorite commentaries, probably my favorite commentary. Can you see this, y'all? You can't see it. Am I on, Father? Can you see it? <laughs> I had it too low. I mean, we can see You're it right now. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a book, right? It's a book. <laughs> it's a book, it's called, and it's it's entitled the Fourth Gospel by Ed uh, Edwin Hoskins. It's it's a wonderful book, and uh, I just wanted to read a short part of a paragraph here uh, on this particular issue of of handing the care of the church and his disciples over to the Father. The Son, therefore, at his departure, solemnly commits them into the care of the Father to whom they rightly belong. But, and this is, what, this is what I want you to see, but this surrender does not mean that in passing 
under the direct care of the father, uh, they are removed from the care of the son for three reasons. Number one, because all that belongs to the father belongs equally to the son for the property of the one is the property of the other. That's exactly what he says. All, all, that, is, all that are mine are yours and all that are yours are, are mine. Uh, secondly, because their glory, that is the glory of the disciple, because uh, their glory is their effective mission in the world and it is not only for the glory of the Father, but it's also for the glory of the Son, who is therefore vitally concerned with their work. Our glory is in following the mission of Jesus. The Father sent Jesus into the world on a mission to reveal his name and his word and their relation. And, and now Jesus is going away. He's ready. He's offering himself up for the sins of the world. Uh, and he will return to his father in the ascension. Uh, and then that mission that Jesus initiated becomes the mission of the church. Okay? You with me? Okay. Uh, and that's Jesus's glory. Thirdly, because through his departure from the world, they, we remain in the world. Uh, yet in going to the father, Jesus attains an even closer and more effective union with the church, which is what Sister, what Arlen brought up just now uh, in talking about his, uh, our Lord's presence in the Mass. Uh, yeah. All righty. Any questions about that? So Father Glenn is Gary. Uh, yes. I so it sounds like that, that this prayer <clears throat> that Jesus is, is praying here so that the disciples can hear it. Yes. Uh, it, it sounds like then he is preparing them for their mission. Correct. So that's why he's praying this out loud, Correct. that even though they may not know yet that he will be taken very shortly. Correct. Okay. They know something's happening, although, you know, it's pretty clear that they're not, they're, they're not totally sure of what it is because uh, when Jesus uh, said just, just, uh, uh, only uh, a few minutes or an hour or so ago to Judas, he said, go and do what thou hast to do quickly. After he'd given him the sock, the center piece of the cup, Judas goes out and does it. And, and John says, they didn't really know what was going on. We thought maybe he was going to pick up some provisions or maybe he was going to give something to the poor uh, in Jerusalem. So they're, they, they, they're, they know something very big is going on, but they're not absolutely sure what it is. They know it's big because they say to him in the middle of this, uh, of, of the uh, previous, well, the previous chapter or so, the, uh, uh, those discourses where he institutes the Blessed Sacrament and, and he washes their feet, they say, well, okay, now you're speaking plainly and we understand what you're saying and, and, and we're, we're with you. Uh, and Jesus says, <laughs> Jesus says, are you with me? And then he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, before the night's over, uh, before the cock crows three times, you will deny me. No, before the, yeah, before the cock crows twice, or three, which one is it? Three times. Three times. Mm -hmm. You will deny me three times. 
so there's 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 a lot happening there that they're aware of, but they're not they're not quite sure what that is. Third point that I want to make is is uh, are these verses here. Now I come to thee, uh, and these things uh, I speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word and the world hath hated them because they're in the world, even as I am, uh, because they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou should keep them from evil. Uh, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So Jesus, uh, again, praying to his father, rehearses, this is what a part of his mission has been, uh, that he has delivered God's word and God's name to his disciples. Uh, and it is in his word and his name that they will be sheltered from the hostility of the world. And specifically, uh, Jesus has delivered to his disciples his relationship to the father. And this is totally new. Uh, and, and, uh, that, that he is God's only son and that he's equal to God in his divinity in every way, except that he's not the father uh, and that all that belongs to the father belongs to Jesus already. I mean, these are bold statements that he's making in John 17. And he has delivered God's word and God's love to his disciple and his name uh, uh, to which the children of God will find abounding joy uh, and, and happiness. Uh, and so he says, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. Now, next week, we'll look at just what that means, that they will be one as we are one, because, I mean, that, that's said three times in this, uh, in this uh, prayer. Uh, in the next section, it's really focused on the unity of the Father and the Son and the unity of the believers, the unity of those who will come later. Uh, and uh, there's been a lot of misunderstanding about it. That unit, I'll just tell you this, that unity is not something that we effect. That unity is something that Jesus' uh, prayer to the Father has already affected, whether churches recognize it or not. Uh, the church of God is already one uh, if, if the church is united to Jesus Christ. So it, it, this is what I want to say to sum up what's going on here, and then you can, you all can, can jump in on this too. Those who believe in Jesus, uh, who have been called out of this sad, broken world by the Father, and then given to the Son as his gift, we, we have, we are the gift that the Father has given to the Son, uh, are now to be the means of extending Jesus's mission throughout the world for the salvation of the world. You, you, see, you get that? You see what I'm saying? The believers are the gifts. We are the gift of, of the Father to the Son, uh, and we are to be the means of extending Jesus's mission throughout the world for the salvation of the world. Now, by this prayer, Jesus is bringing into substantial and visual existence in this world 
the congregation of the Messiah. That's who he's surrounded by. That, these men who are there uh, and women who have followed him, his mother and, and, and Mary and others who have followed him out of the upper room into the garden. Uh, uh, they are the substantial visual existence in this world of the congregation of the Messiah, the fulfillment of, of Abraham's promise, the very church of God. So here, I submit to you, recorded for us uh, by the prayer of Jesus to his Father is the creation of the church of God, the Father's gift to the Son, the one holy Catholic apostolic church, will now reach out to the scattered children of God uh, in the world to bring them home to Jesus. The word was made flesh and dwelt among his people. The word was made flesh so that we children of flesh may shape and fashion our flesh now to the word of the Father. Without bending, uh, without bending our whole life of flesh, as well as the rest of material creation to the word of the Father made flesh, then our end is a mournful oblivion. This is our purpose, is to bend all flesh to uh, the word of the Father made flesh. Uh, these are they, and that would be us. These are they who, uh, I'm, a, I'm sorry, there are those who would uh, make wish to make the flesh everything or make the flesh nothing. Uh, uh, Jesus said that such a way of life is a rejection of life, to embrace flesh and only flesh, uh, because in and of itself, it's fleeting. Uh, and that's a rejection of life and a forfeiture of real life and happiness. But the church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the pillar and ground of the truth, the holy Catholic church, uh, will not shrink, does not shrink back in unbelief. We are not of the world. We belong to Jesus and he belongs to us. And, and so we know that uh, he has come out of the Father and he intends to bring us uh, and to keep us in perfect love and fellowship with the Father. That's the whole purpose of this. Uh, and so that's, uh, Father, the hour has come. I'll just stop here. The hour has come. Glorify thy son, that thy son may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And that's what he's doing. Are y'all with me? Okay, that's a lot of stuff. I know that. Uh, at the very end, he says in 19, and this is where we're going to pick up next week, for their sake I sanctify myself, that they might also be sanctified in truth. That is the moment of consecration. That is when he says, I sanctify myself. That is the moment that the priest consecrates the offering that he's about to sacrifice. And in this case, it's the priest consecrating himself as the sacrifice. And then he consecrates us we become our sacrifice too. And that's the part that has to do with, with sharing in his suffering. All righty, I'm gonna stop there. And uh, you all,
jump in and add to it or take from it or ask questions or make comments. Father Glenn, this is Audrey. Hey, Audrey. Hi. Um, so I, I just have a question about how the notion of those who were given to our Lord in verse two. Yes. Um, kind of segues into a very distinct group of apostles and disciples by the time we're done with this prayer. Yes. So why in verse two, is that not more just an expression of his human love for his friends at a rather emotional time when he kind of knows what's coming and they do not? Yeah, let me look, keep talking. I'm looking that up. Okay, so in verse two, um, as thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. That, that sounds a little bit general, like I might be in that group <laughs> generically, but as the prayer continues more and more, he focuses on the men and women in his company as he's praying. Right. So, um, right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, it really seems yeah, like yeah, a very is, personal expression of his love for them, those people in his life, his yes. human life. <laughs> That's absolutely true. Okay, so um, so to uh, to extend it to me, <clears throat> you know, yeah. thousands of years later, as right. a member of the church, um. I guess I that, that's a leap. That's a little bit of a leap for me in this prayer, although. Although he's said, just because I see it as so personal, and now I'm over and out. <laughs> you go ahead. No, that's that's uh, that's good. Uh, but, actually, but Audrey, remember he says in the same in the same chapter he talks about he extends it when he says, "I pray not for these only, but for those who will come to believe." through their word so he is at that time extending it to you and to me yeah 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 as an explicit statement yes in in that specific passage but the whole meaning of the passage i think for me just rings more as a personal expression of love for his immediate friends it is it is an expression of his love for his immediate friends uh but priscilla is, is right is that he uh, he and I, where's that verse? Uh, I was looking for that verse uh, where he says that. Verse twenty. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. Verse twenty. It's the very. It's the very next verse. Thank you. Uh, Neither for these only do I pray for for them also that believe on me uh, through their word that they may all be one. That's the key, Audrey is we're talking about the unity of, of Holy Mother Church, that they may all be one, even as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they all may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou didst send me. And the glory which thou hast given me, what happens after that? What he's praying about after that then is, uh, is the glory that he shared with the Father and the love that the Father had for him in eternity, that is before the world was, that glory, which is the uncreated glory of God, uh, that glory and the love that the 
father had has for the son before the world was is the love that he loves us with it is the love that he has for us which is astonishing uh it it, it and so and we're included in that group so it's not uh it's not it's not limited to the to to the original crowd there that was with him in the upper room Right. Oh, yeah, very much. I, I just think up to verse 19, though, I'm sticking by my guns because 20, <laughs> 20 is a very clear segue into the Absolutely. church. Yes, it is. It is. But uh, uh, the, the uh, uh, well, I mean, I don't know what else to say. You're right. It is a segue into the church and all that he's all that he says after that applies to the whole body of Christ. Uh, that, well, I mean, just just look at that. And the glory which thou hast given me, I this is 22, I have given them that they may be one even as we are one. I and them, thou uh, and thou in me, that they may be perfected into one. And so even if this is, you know, it's kind of like this, it's sort of like the love that Mary Magdalene if I'm off, Audrey, say so, okay? Oh, I, I would definitely know. I have a degree in theology. Okay. <laughs> Pop. Well, yeah, okay. So the love that Mary Magdalene has for Jesus and the experience that Mary Magdalene has for Jesus on Easter Sunday morning uh, is astonishing. Uh, she experiences the resurrection of Christ. Uh, that is like totally amazingly uh, personal, but Mary Mary Magdalene, in all likelihood, had less understanding of the resurrection than we do. Mm. It was it was. I mean, I don't know what Mary thought uh, had actually taken place, but it it took the church. It takes Paul. It takes uh, some time for them to understand. You know, he didn't just rise from the dead like Lazarus. He was resurrected from the dead, and his and he was and he was changed, and uh, and 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 flesh found its perfect end uh, in the resurrection. It didn't find its perfect end in 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 Lazarus. And so, even though Mary had this deep, profound personal relationship with our Lord. Uh, what what the church has is is a different and even more profound relationship with him. Not that I'm going to solve all the problems that you have with this, Audrey, tonight, but that's a beginning. No, I, I don't have any problems with it. I think it's uh, going very smoothly. <laughs> um, but I do think there's a clear segue in verse 20. Um, and No argument with you on that. I agree. Okay. And that, and that segue uh, then includes all of us in the future glory of the church, which is a, a, an amazing glory. Okay, that was, a, that was wonderful. Thank you. So wonderful, I forgot my second question. So. That's okay if you remember. <laughs> Sometime. <laughs> At some point, we can bring it up. Any other comments or, or, or thoughts, questions? 
Well, so I, I just have been um, struck by the tension between, um, and this happens all through all through the New Testament, but the tension between um, their and our experiencing things in linear time and his doing things that are unfolding in eternity yeah. and the way the two are sort of impinging on each other. And, and that's a source, it seems like, of a lot of our lack of understanding because he's, he's like that oneness that he makes then it happened so long ago from our point of view and yet we're involved in it. So, I mean, so it's just that tension, that sort of mental cognitive dissonance, that, that, that mystery that I don't know how to say it, but anyway, You're I'm so struck by that. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. You know, Arlen, I was just writing with Anne Hughes this past week about the strangeness of time and how looking at God's providence in, in time itself. And she was bringing up the marvelous point of just looking how Passover starts, you know, all the way back in Exodus and the same ritual uh, remembrance of Passover going on year after year, matching, building up to this one point though, right? So it's mm -hmm. all the way back and seeing how God is weaving throughout this history that we know of is his plan kind of being brought to completion through it. Mm -hmm. And yet, uh, and then today in our experience of time in the church, we have this almost cyclical liturgical experience. And yet every time we circle back, it's not to the same point, right? Mm -hmm. We're always, it's, it's rising at the same time as well. Um, and it's a wonderful vision. And one of the kind of weird books that's helped me uh, think about this is this novel called Loris, which is about a Russian wandering monk, basically. And in there, there's all these really interesting, just tiny passages, though, about the, cycl the cyclical nature of time. Mm -hmm. um, but don't, Julie, warn me, don't read it when you're pregnant. And I <laughs> totally forgot about certain parts when I recommended it to her. We're not going to Well, so... So there's the cyclicality of time, but so I have this sense about time and I want to ask you guys if this is correct or not. And I, I'm not sure I can express it in words, but it's like when he's doing a thing in linear time. Our Lord. Our Lord. It, it's, it's like it doesn't just affect our time, our linear time from that point forward. It's like it blasts back through all of time to the beginning of creation and changes all of that as well. Is that correct? That's right. Okay. The cross reaches all the way back. Yeah. That's the understanding of the church. Yeah. Okay, good. I have that, that right. Thank goodness. That's, <laughs> that's the exactly. understanding of the church. The same way that the Jews understood that every time they celebrated the Passover, it was them actually being a part of the actual events of the Passover. So, so right. the, the, the Old Testament models that for mm -hmm. us right and jesus carries it through right. into the new testament because every time we receive the sacrament we are experiencing the sacrifice of jesus on the cross right again so so it's not a new concept it's mm -hmm. it's always been <laughs> right right thank you yeah and i think jesus's descent into hell too is kind of a good 
a, a good doctrine to also mm -hmm. look out and how he affects all time past, you know, all previous history was then summed up and kind of wrapped up into this moment when he descends into hell and brings out those who, um, who are his at that point as well. Oh, can I just make a shout out to Chris James? Because up until the lesson a few weeks ago, I, I had a serious misunderstanding of um, when the harrowing of hell occurred in that I thought he had to like go to hell and do a thing there, but that occurred on the cross. So I'm so glad to have that, have that corrected and have that full understanding that when he went to hell, he went as a conqueror and not as a person who still had things to suffer, if, if you will. He went to the place of death, the, the right. road of death. And right. Yeah, I just had one more comment, Father Glenn, if that's all right, on uh, verse 14. Kind of going back to Audrey's question, though, as well, of in what way do we, are we unified uh, by Jesus and given to the Father? And, you know, Audrey, you bring up a great point that he, it seems he's speaking so personally, so intimately here to his friends, uh, in the sense of offering them up to the Father. And of course, I think how we should read this is that intimacy is what we enter into as we enter into the church. Now, the way that that happens kind of comes in verse 14. He says, uh, I have given to them your word. And of course, in Greek there, that's the logos. Right. So now Jesus is saying, I am offering, Father, I'm offering your word, which is me, to them. Right. So it is Jesus' offering of himself that then we are wrapped up into him and then given back to the Father. That is the motion of unity. And it's that motion that's very intimate, very personal to his friends, but that's the same motion then that we are brought into as the church. Like what so his, yeah, so his talking to his friends when he says, I have not lost a single one of them. I have cared for them. I have protected them. Those words then, as we are brought into that unity, those words can apply to us now. Right. And it is, I think, really helpful, though, Audrey, to view this passage just to his friends and as this intimate uh, collection but it's also very helpful then to be able to read it and see that same intimacy of personal, personal friends is what we gain as well in him. Uh, and so I love that verse 14 where he's basically saying, I've offered myself and that is but the means by which we are now brought to the Father. Yeah, yeah I really agree. And I think that's a great point. Um, we have that to look forward to, that, that closeness with the Lord through the church. So, yeah, I, I really agree with you. I hope nothing I said sounded as if that were not the case. Oh. I did remember my second question, which may be bad news, Father Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's that in this passage, the world is very much, uh, you know, a, a, a place that his people have to be in. Yes. And he's not saying pull them out of this world, um, but keep them from the evil of it. That's Sorry? So, he okay. was saying not to pull them exactly. out. Exactly. So that's what he says. So um, yet um, 
we we sometimes refer to our Lord as Savior of the world. Correct. How do you reconcile those two? It, this is, I, I talked a little bit, uh, said a couple of things about this last week, that we have these these words and uh, these realities that, that uh, are sometimes used in different ways. For example, the word world is cosmos. Uh, and, uh, and that's what he's, he's referring to the existing universe. Uh, and, and it, it, on the one hand, we have our Lord saying, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, same word, absolutely very same word that he uses here when world takes on a sinister, there's a sinister aspect to this. And that sinister aspect is that uh, those that that lay hold to the world and not to uh, and not to God, the world in and of itself, it it's not self-sustaining. Only God is self-sustaining. So the world in and of itself can, cannot sustain itself, and and it it it's it, it's uh, it'll go away. It'll it'll uh, it, it'll disappear. Uh, it's fleeting. Uh, and, and so anytime one gives their heart to the world, you're giving your heart to that which is fleeting and insubstantial, except that in God's hands, the world becomes uh, the church, uh, and, and, the peop and, and the church is sent into the world to save the world, to redeem the world, uh, and it can be redeemed, in, in Jesus and in God, but the world in and of itself, relying upon itself as its end, that's unsustainable. Does that make sense? Sure, I just, I just need to think about it, yeah. Audrey, what comes, came to my mind immediately, what comes to my mind immediately is the words of Handel's Messiah. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord. Jesus Christ, and he shall reign forever. I mean, when you said that, that's the first thing I thought of was, was those words. Yeah. So I just tried to look them up, but I couldn't come up, <laughs> come up with them fast enough. That's good. Uh, yeah, that's good. The, the, uh, uh, we, are the, we are the gift uh, of the Father to the Son, and the Son then, in this passage, returns that gift to the Father. This is Eucharistic. Uh, so it, the priest, in, in, in the Mass, the priest takes bread and wine. These are sub, substances that are in the world. Things that are, if they're left by themselves, will perish. Uh, but then we take that, which the Father has given us. It's not something we made ourselves. And we give that to the Father in the Mass. The Father receives that that we've given him, Eucharizes it and then gives it back to us, uh, and it's that it's that pattern uh, by which the world is saved, by which the kingdoms of the world become the kingdoms of our Lord in Christ, by which all of us who are material beings and spiritual beings came to God uh, through Jesus Christ and and are saved. But uh, so. In a sense, everything. In a sense, everything has to be Eucharized, uh, and we're a kingdom of priests. And part of our part of our job in this world is to Eucharize the world. And the way we do that is to is to bring 
is basically through the mass. I mean, that's the most perfect way we do that, to show forth the perfection of God, is to bring, to bring the love of God to the world and to bring the world to the love of God. Yeah. These discussions, I, I, learn, I learn so much from you guys, and, and you, as you learn from one another, it's just wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, thank you all. It's so great seeing everyone. Good night.